0: But now some visitors came down from Judea who began to tell the brethren you cannot be saved without being circumcised according to the tradition of Moses. Paul and Barnabas were drawn into a great controversy with them and it was decided that Paul and Barnabas and certain of the rest should go up to see the apostles and presbyters in Jerusalem about this question. So the church saw them on their way And they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, relating how the Gentiles were turning to God, and so brought great rejoicing to all the brethren. When they reached Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and by the apostles and presbyters, and they told them of all that God had done to aid them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees came forward and declared, They must be circumcised. We must call upon them to keep the law of Moses. When the apostles and presbyters assembled to decide about this matter, there was much disputing over it, until Peter rose and said to them, Brethren, you know well enough how from early days it has been God's choice that the Gentiles should hear the message of the gospel from my lips, and so learn to believe. God, who can read men's hearts, has assured them of his favour, By giving the Holy Spirit to them as to us, He would not make any difference between us and them. He had removed all the uncleanness from their hearts when He gave them faith. How is it then that you would now call God in question by putting a yoke on the necks of the disciples such as we and our fathers have been too weak to bear? It is by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we hope to be saved and they no less. Then the whole company kept silence, and listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had performed among the Gentiles by their means. And when they had finished speaking, James answered thus, Listen, brethren, to what I have to say. Simon has told us how for the first time God has looked with favour on the Gentiles, and chosen from among them a people dedicated to his name. This is in agreement with the words of the prophets, where it is written, Afterwards I will come back and build up again David's tabernacle that has fallen, I will build up his ruins and raise it afresh, so that all the rest of mankind may find the Lord, all those Gentiles among whom my name is named, says the Lord, who is the doer of all this. God has known from all eternity what he does today, and so I give my voice for sparing the consciences of those Gentiles who have found their way to God, only writing to bid them abstain from what is contaminated by idolatry, from fornication, and from meat which has been strangled or has the blood in it. As for Moses, ever since the earliest times he has been read Sabbath after Sabbath in the synagogues, and has preachers in every city to expound him. Thereupon it was resolved by the apostles and presbyters with the agreement of the whole church to choose out some of their own number and dispatch them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was called Bathabas, and Silas, who were leading men among the brethren. And they sent by their hands this message in writing. To the Gentile brethren in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, their brethren, the apostles and presbyters, send greeting. We hear that some of our number who visited you have disquieted you by what they said, unsettling your consciences, although we had given them no such commission. And therefore, meeting together with common purpose of heart, we have resolved to send you chosen messengers in company with our well-beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have staked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have given this commission to Judas and Silas, who will confirm the message by word of mouth. It is the Holy Spirit's pleasure and ours that no burden should be laid upon you beyond these which cannot be avoided. You are to abstain from what is sacrificed to idols, from blood meat and meat which has been strangled, and from fornication. If you keep away from such things, you will have done your part. Farewell. So they took their leave and went down to Antioch Where they called the multitude together and delivered the letter to them And they, upon reading it, were rejoiced at this encouragement Judas and Silas, for they were prophets too Said much to encourage the brethren and establish their faith They stayed there for some time before the brethren let them go home in peace To those who had sent them But Silas had a mind to remain there So Judas went back alone to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas waited at Antioch, teaching and preaching God's word, with many others to help them. And then, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brethren in all the cities where we have preached the word of the Lord, to see how they are doing. And Barnabas was for taking John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul said, Here was a man who left them when they reached Pamphylia and took no part with them in the work. It was not right to admit such a man to their company. So sharp was their disagreement that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus, while Paul chose Silas for his companion and went on his journey, commended by the brethren to the Lord's grace. And he travelled all through Syria and Cilicia, establishing the churches in the faith, and bidding them observe the commands which the apostles and presbyters had given. So he reached Derby and Lystra. Here he met a disciple named Timothy, son of a believer who was a Jewess and a Gentile father. He was well spoken of by the brethren at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul resolved to take him as a companion on his journey. But he was careful to circumcise him. He was thinking of the Jews living in those parts, who all knew that Timothy's father was a Gentile. As they passed from city to city, they recommended to their observance the decree laid down by the apostles and presbyters at Jerusalem. They found the churches firmly established in the faith, and their numbers daily increasing. Thus, they passed through Phrygia and the Galatian country, the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in Asia. Then, when they had come as far as Mysia on their journey, they planned to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow it. So they crossed Mysia and went down to the sea at Troas. Here Paul saw a vision in the night. A certain Macedonian stood by him in entreaty and said, Come over into Macedonia and help us. That vision once seen we were eager to sail for Macedonia. Monsignor Knox puts in a footnote here. He says, It is evident from this verse that St. Luke himself joined St. Paul about the time when he reached Troas. I go back to the text. That vision once seen, we were eager to sail for Macedonia. We concluded that God had called us there to preach to them. So we put out from Troas made a straight course to Samothrace, and next day to Neapolis. Thence we reached Philippi, which is a Roman colony, and the chief city in that part of Macedonia. In this city we remained for some days conferring together. On the Sabbath day we went out beyond the city gates by the riverside, a meeting place we were told for prayer, and we sat down and preached to the women who had assembled there. One of those who were listening was a woman called Lydia, a purple seller from the city of Thyatira, and a worshipper of the true God. And the Lord opened her heart, so that she was attentive to Paul's preaching. She was baptized with all her household, and she was urgent with us. Now that you have decided that I have faith in the Lord, she said, come to my house and lodge there, and she would take no denial. And now... As we were on our way to the place of prayer, we chanced to meet a girl who was possessed by a divining spirit. Her predictions brought in large profits to her masters. This girl used to follow behind Paul and the rest of us, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God. They are proclaiming to us the way of salvation. And when she had done this for a number of days, Paul was distressed by it. He turned round and said to the spirit, I command thee to come out of her in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there and then it came out of her. Her masters, who saw that all their hopes of profit had vanished, took hold of Paul and Silas, and dragged them off to justice in the marketplace. When they brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men, Jews by origin, are disturbing the peace of our city. They are recommending customs which it is impossible for us, as Roman citizens, to admit or to observe. The crowd gathered round to join in the accusation, and the magistrates, tearing their clothes off them, gave orders that they should be beaten. Then, when they had inflicted many lashes on them, put them in prison, and bade the jailer keep them in safe custody. Thus instructed, he put them in the inner ward, and secured their feet in the stocks. At midnight, Paul and Silas were at their prayers, praising God, while the prisoners listened to them. And all at once there was a violent earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison rocked, whereupon every door opened, and every man's chains were undone. The jailer, who had been awakened, saw the prison doors open, and drew his sword as if to kill himself, thinking the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do no hurt to thyself, we are all here. And so, when he called for a light, he came running in, and fell at the feet of Paul and Silas, all trembling. Says, he asked, as he led them out, What am I to do to save myself? Have faith, they said to him, in the Lord Jesus. There lies salvation for thee and for thy household. Then they preached the word of the Lord to him, and to all that were in his house. And he... There and then, at dead of night, took them away to wash their wounds, and without delay he and all his were baptized. So he led them to his home, where he put food before them, and he and all his household made rejoicing at having found faith in God. When day came, the magistrates sent their officers to say, Those men are to be discharged. And the jailer reported the message to Paul. The magistrates have sent ordering your discharge. It is time you should come out and go on your way in peace. But Paul said to them, What, have they beaten us in public, without trial, Roman citizens as we are, and sent us to prison, and now would they let us out secretly? That will not serve. They must come here themselves and fetch us out in person. When the officers gave this message to the magistrates, They were alarmed by this talk of Roman citizenship. So they came and pleaded with them, urging them, as they brought them out, to leave the city. On leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they saw the brethren and gave them encouragement. Then they set out on their journey. They continued their journey through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and so reached Thessalonica. Here the Jews had a synagogue, and Paul, as his custom was, paid them a visit there. Over a space of three Sabbaths he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, expounding these and bringing proofs from them that the sufferings of Christ and his rising from the dead were foreordained. The Christ, he said, is none other than the Jesus whom I am preaching to you. Some of them were convinced and threw in their lot with Paul and Silas a great number of those Gentiles who worshipped the true God, and not a few of the leading women. The Jews were indignant at this, and they found confederates among the riffraff of the marketplace to make a disturbance and throw the city into an uproar. Then they made a sudden descent on Jason's house. Mancina Knox has put in a footnote here. Jason was perhaps a person well known in the early church, since his name is thus introduced without further explanation it is not certain whether he was the jason mentioned in romans chapter 16 verse 21 then living at rome where the acts were probably written i'll go back to the text then they made a sudden descent on jason's house in the hope of bringing paul and silas out into the presence of the people but as they could not find them They dragged Jason and some of the brethren before the city council, crying out, Here they are, the men who are turning the state upside down. They have come here too, and Jason has given them hospitality. All these folk defy the edicts of Caesar. They say there is another king, one Jesus. Both the crowd and the city council took alarm at hearing this, and they demanded bail from Jason and the others before they would let them go. Thereupon the brethren sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, where, as soon as they arrived, they made their way to the Jewish synagogue. These were of a better breed than the Thessalonians. They welcomed the word with all eagerness, and examined the scriptures day after day to find out whether all this was true, so that many of them learnt to believe, as certain Greek women of fashion did, and not a few of the men as well. But now some of the Thessalonian Jews, hearing that the word of God had been preached by Paul at Berea too, came on there to upset and disturb the minds of the multitude. Whereupon the brethren sent Paul away to continue his journey up to the coast. Silas and Timothy remained there still. Those who were escorting Paul on his journey saw him as far as Athens and then left him with instructions for Silas and Timothy To rejoin him as soon as possible And while Paul was waiting for them in Athens His heart was moved within him To find the city so much given over to idolatry And he reasoned not only in the synagogue with Jews And worshippers of the true God But in the marketplace with all he met He encountered philosophers, Stoics and Epicureans Some of whom asked What can his drift be, this dabbler? while others said he would appear to be proclaiming strange gods, because he preached to them about Jesus and resurrection. So they took him by the sleeve and led him up to the Areopagus. May we ask, they said, what this new teaching is thou art delivering? That dost introduce terms which are strange to our ears. Pray let us know what may be the meaning of it. No townsman of Athens or stranger visiting it has time for anything else than saying something new or hearing it, said. So Paul stood up in full view of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, wherever I look, I find you scrupulously religious. Why, in examining your monuments as I passed by them, I found among others an altar which bore the inscription to the unknown God. And it is this unknown object of your devotion that I am revealing to you. The God who made the world and all that is in it, that God who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples that our hands have made. No human handicraft can do him service, as if he stood in need of anything, he who gives to all of us life and breath and all we have. It is he who has made of one single stock all the nations that were to dwell over the whole face of the earth. And he has given to each the cycles it was to pass through, and the fixed limits of its habitation, leaving them to search for God. Would they somehow grope their way towards him? Would they find him? And yet, after all, he is not far from any one of us. It is in him that we live and move and have our being. Thus, some of your own poets have told us, for indeed we are his children. Why, then, if we are the children of God, We must not imagine that the divine nature can be represented in gold or silver or stone carved by man's art and thought. God has shut his eyes to these passing follies of ours. Now he calls upon all men everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day when he will pronounce just judgment on the whole world. And the man whom he has appointed for that end he has accredited to all of us by raising him up from the dead. When resurrection from the dead was mentioned, some mocked, while others said, We must hear more from thee about this. So Paul went away from among them. But there were men who attached themselves to him and learnt to believe, among them Dionysius the Areopagite, and so did a woman called Damaris, and others with them. Paul left Athens after this, and went to Corinth, here he met a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who, with his wife Priscilla, had lately come from Italy. When Claudius decreed that all Jews should leave Rome. He paid them a visit then, since they were brothers of the same craft, both were tent-makers, he stayed and worked with them every Sabbath. He held a disputation in the synagogue, trying to convince both Jews and Greeks by confronting them with the name of the Lord Jesus. Just at the time when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was much occupied with preaching, while he bore witness to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But they set their faces against it and talked blasphemy, until he shook the dust out of his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clear of it. I will go to the Gentiles henceforward." So he left them, and went to the house of one Titius Justus, a worshipper of the true God, who lived next door to the synagogue. But Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, learnt to believe in the Lord, and so did all his household. And by now many of the Corinthians listened and found faith, and were baptised. And the Lord said to Paul in a vision at night, Do not be afraid, speak out, and refuse to be silenced. I am with thee, and none shall come near to do thee harm. I have a great following in this city. So he remained there a year and six months, preaching the word of God among them. Then, when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a concerted attack on Paul and dragged him before the judgment seat. This fellow, they said, is persuading men to worship God in a manner the law forbids, Paul was just opening his mouth to speak when Gallio said to the Jews, It would be only right for me to listen to you Jews with patience if we had here some wrong done or some malicious contrivance. But the questions you raise are a matter of words and names of the law which holds good among yourselves. You must see to it. I have no mind to try such cases. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. Thereupon, There was a general onslaught upon Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, who was beaten before the judgment seat. But all this caused Gallio no concern. Paul stayed on many days yet, then took leave of the brethren and sailed off to Syria. Before he left Kencray, he shaved his head, since he was under a vow. He took Priscilla and Aquila with him, but left them behind when he reached Ephesus. He himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, who asked him to make a longer stay. But he would not consent. He said, as he took leave of them, I will come back to you again, if it is God's will, and departed from Ephesus by sea. On landing at Caesarea, he went up from there to greet the church, then went down again to Antioch, where he spent some time. He left it to make an orderly progress through the Galatian and Phrygian country, where he established all the disciples in the faith. Meanwhile, a Jewish visitor came to Ephesus, Apollo by name. He was born in Alexandria and was an eloquent man, well-grounded in the Scriptures. He had had instruction in the way of the Lord, and with a spirit full of zeal used to preach and teach about the life of Jesus accurately enough, although he knew of no baptism except that of John. and Knox puts a footnote here. The way of the Lord is perhaps not to be understood here of the Christian religion, but of that way which was prepared for the Lord by St. John the Baptist. I go back to the text. He had had instruction in the way of the Lord, and with a spirit full of zeal, used to preach and teach about the life of Jesus accurately enough, although he knew of no baptism except that of John. So he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, whereupon Priscilla and Aquila, who had been listening, made friends with him and explained the way of God to him more particularly. He was meaning to continue his journey into Achaia. In this the brethren encouraged him and wrote asking the disciples there to welcome him. His visit was a welcome reinforcement to the believers. He spared no pains to refute the Jews publicly proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. It was while Apollo was away at Corinth that Paul finished his journey through the inland country and came to Ephesus. He met some disciples there and asked them, Was the Holy Spirit given to you when you learnt to believe? Why, they said, Nobody even mentioned to us the existence of a Holy Spirit. What baptism then did you receive, Paul asked, and they said, John's baptism. So Paul told them, John baptized to bring men to repentance, but he bade the people have faith in one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they received baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, The Holy Spirit came down on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. In all, these men were about twelve in number. And now he went into the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly there, reasoning with them, and trying to convince them about the kingdom of God. But since there were some who hardened their hearts and refused belief, discrediting the way of the Lord in the eyes of the multitude, he left them, and withdrew his own disciples, holding disputations daily in the school of a certain Tyrannus. This lasted for two years, so that the Lord's word came to the ears of all those who lived in Asia, both Jews and Greeks. And God did miracles through Paul's hands that were beyond all wont, so much so that when handkerchiefs or aprons which had touched his body were taken to the sick, they got rid of their diseases, and evil spirits were driven out. Some of the wandering Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were possessed by evil spirits with the words, I conjure you in the name of Jesus, the name that is preached by Paul. Among these were the seven sons of Siva, one of the Jewish chief priests. And the evil spirit answered, Jesus I recognize, Paul I know well enough, but you, what are you? And with that, The man who was possessed by the evil spirit ran at them and got the better of them, defying the power of both, so that they fled from the house naked and wounded. This came to the ears of every Jew and Greek living in Ephesus. Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in great honor. Many believers came forward, confessing their evil practices and giving a full account of them, and a number of those who followed magic arts made their books into a heap and burnt them in public. The value of these was reckoned up and proved to be fifty thousand silver pieces. So, irresistibly, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. When all this was over, the thought in Paul's heart was to go to Jerusalem, first travelling through Macedonia and Achaia. When I have been there, he said, and must go on and see Rome. And he sent on two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, into Macedonia, but waited for a while himself in Asia. It was just at this time that the way of the Lord was the cause of a notable disturbance. There was a silversmith called Demetrius, who used to make silver models of Diana's temple, and so gave plentiful employment to the craftsmen. And now he called a meeting of these, and of the workmen who were in the same trade, and spoke thus. Friends, you all know that our prosperity depends upon this business of ours. And you can see and hear for yourselves that this Paul has persuaded a whole multitude to change their allegiance, not only at Ephesus, but over most of Asia, by telling them that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. It is not only that we are in danger of finding this work of ours discredited. The temple of the great goddess Diana will count for nothing. She will be shorn of her greatness, the goddess whom Asia and all the world reveres. At these words they were all overcome with rage, and began to shout, Great is Diana of Ephesus! Their uproar filled the whole city, as they ran by common consent into the theatre carrying with them Gaius and Aristarchus, who were companions of Paul from Macedonia. When Paul had a mind to show himself before the people, his disciples tried to prevent it, and some of the delegates of Asia, who were his friends, sent a message to him, imploring him not to risk his life in the theatre. Meanwhile, some cried this, some that. The meeting was all in confusion, and most of them could not tell what had brought them together. The Jews thrust Alexander forward, and some of the crowd brought him down with them. So Alexander made a gesture with his hand and tried to give an account of himself before the people. But as soon as they found out that he was a Jew, a single cry came from every mouth, and for some two hours they kept on shouting, Great is Diana of Ephesus! Then the town clerk restored quiet among the crowd. Ephesians, he said as if there were anyone who does not know that the city of Ephesus is the acolyte of the great Diana and of the image which is Jupiter's offspring. Since this is beyond dispute, you'd best be quiet and do nothing rashly. These men you've brought here have not robbed the temples, they've not used blasphemous language about your goddess, and if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have any charge to bring against them, why, we have court days, we have proconsuls, Let the two parties go to law. If, on the other hand, you have any further question to raise, it can be settled by lawful assembly. We may easily be called to account for today's proceedings, and there is no grievance which will enable us to account for this riot. With these words he broke up the meeting. When the tumult was over, Paul summoned his disciples to rally their spirits and bid them farewell, and set out on his journey into Macedonia. He passed through all that region and gave them much encouragement. Then he entered Greece. When he had stayed three months there, he was meaning to take ship for Syria, but finding that the Jews were plotting against him, he resolved to go back again through Macedonia. He was accompanied as far as Asia, Isopater son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and two friends from Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on first and waited for us at Troas. As soon as the time of unleavened bread was over, we set sail from Philippi and took five days to reach them at Troas, where we spent seven days. When the new week began, we had met for the breaking of bread, and Paul was preaching to them. He meant to leave them next day, and he continued speaking till midnight. There were many lamps burning in the upper room where we had met, and a young man called Eutychus, who was sitting in the embrasure of the window, was overcome by deep sleep. As Paul still went on preaching, sleep weighed him down, and he fell from the third story to the ground where he was taken up dead. Paul went down, bent over him, and embraced him. Then he said, Do not disturb yourselves, his life is yet in him. And so he went up again, and broke bread, and ate. Afterwards he talked with them for some time until dawn came when he left. And the boy was taken home alive, to their great comfort. For ourselves we took ship and sailed to Assos, when we were to take Paul on board. He had arranged this because he himself meant to go across by land. So at Assos we met him and took him on board and journeyed to Mytilene. Sailing thence, we reached a point opposite Chios the following day. On the next, we put in at Samos and arrived on the third at Miletus. Paul had made up his mind to sail past Ephesus for fear of having to waste time in Asia. He was eager, if he found it possible, to keep the day of Pentecost at Jerusalem. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus, summoning the presbyters of the church there. And when they had come out to him and gathered round him, he said to them, "'You yourselves can testify how I have lived among you "'since the first day when I set foot in Asia, "'serving the Lord in all humility,' not without tears over the trials which beset me through the plots of the Jews. And how I have never failed you when there was any need of preaching to you or teaching you, whether publicly or house by house. I have proclaimed both to Jew and to Greek repentance before God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a prisoner in spirit, I am going up to Jerusalem, knowing nothing of what is to befall me there, Only as I go on from city to city, the Holy Spirit assures me that a Jerusalem, bondage and affliction await me. I care nothing for all that. I do not count my life precious compared with my work, which is to finish the course I run, the task of preaching which the Lord Jesus has given me in proclaiming the good news of God's grace. Here then I stand, well knowing that you will not see my face again you among whom I came and went, preaching the kingdom of God. Mancini Knox puts in a footnote here. It seems likely, from several references in the epistles, that St. Paul was at Ephesus again, after the end of his first captivity. If so, it is clear that he speaks here only of human probabilities, not foreseeing his release. All he knew by revelation was that he was to be imprisoned. I go on with the text. And I ask you to bear me witness today that I have no man's blood on my hands. I have never shrunk from revealing to you the whole of God's plan. Keep watch then over yourselves and over God's church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops. You are to be the shepherds of that flock which he won for himself for the price of his own blood. I know well that ravening wolves will come among you when I am gone, and will not spare the flock. There will be men among your own number, will come forward with a false message and find disciples to follow them be on the watch then do not forget the three years I spent instructing every one of you continually and with tears now as then I commend you to God and to his gracious word that can build you up and give you your allotted place among the saints everywhere I have never asked for silver or gold or clothing from any man you will bear me out These hands of mine have sufficed for all that I and my companions needed Always I have tried to show that it is our duty so to work And be the support of the weak Remembering the words spoken by the Lord Jesus himself It is more blessed to give than to receive When he had said this he knelt down and prayed with them all They all wept abundantly and embraced Paul and kissed him "'grieving most over what he had said about never seeing his face again. "'And so they escorted him to the ship. "'When we tore ourselves away from them, and at last put out to sea, "'we made a straight course, sailing to Cos, "'and next day to Rhodes, and thence to Patara. "'There, finding a ship crossing to Finisi, "'we went on board and set sail.' We sighted Cyprus, but passed it on our left, and held on for Syria, where we landed at Tyre, the port for which the vessel had shipped our cargo. Here we inquired for the brethren, and made a stay of seven days with them. They, by revelation, warned Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. But when the time came to an end, we left them and continued our journey. All of them, with our wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city and so we knelt down on the beach to pray then when farewells had been made on either side we went on board the ship while they returned home the end of our voyage brought us from Tyre to Ptolemais where we greeted the brethren and stayed one day with them the day after we left them and arrived at Caesarea where we went to the house of Philip the Evangelist one of the seven and lodged with him, he had four daughters who possessed the gift of prophecy during our stay of several days. there a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he visited us. He took up Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet with it. Then he said, "Thus speaks the Holy Spirit. The man to whom this girdle belongs will be bound like this by the Jews at Jerusalem." and given over into the hands of the Gentiles. At hearing this, both we and our hosts implored Paul not to go up to Jerusalem, to which he answered, What do you mean by lamenting and crushing my spirits? I am ready to meet prison and death as well in Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord Jesus. Finding that he would not take our advice, we composed ourselves and said, The Lord's will be done. When the time came to an end, we made all ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the brethren from Caesarea went with us to take us to the house of a Cypriot called Mnasson, one of the first disciples with whom we were to lodge. When we reached Jerusalem, the brethren received us with joy. The next day Paul took us with him to see James. All the presbyters had gathered, and he greeted them and told them point by point of all that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. They praised God for the news he gave, and said, Brother, thou canst see for thyself how many thousands of the Jews have learnt to believe, and they are all zealous supporters of the law. And this is what has come to their ears about thee that thou dost teach the Jews in Gentile parts to break away from the law of Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children and not to follow the tradition. What will happen? Why, a multitude of them will assuredly gather round thee, hearing that thou hast come. Follow our advice, then, in this. We have four men here who are under a vow. If thou wilt take these with thee, and join in their purification, and defray the cost for the shaving of their heads, then all will see clearly that the report they have heard about thee has no substance, and that thou dost follow the observances of the law like other men. Mancini Knox puts in a footnote here, he says, It was the custom for richer Jews to pay for the sacrifices offered by the poor on such occasions, and St. Paul, though he asserted the freedom of the Gentiles, himself conformed to such Jewish usages. I'll go back to the text. As for the Gentile believers, we have already written to them. We laid it down that they must abstain from what is sacrificed to idols and from blood meat, and meat which has been strangled, and from fornication. So next day Paul took the men with him and began going to the temple, publicly fulfilling the days of purification, until the time came for each to have sacrifice made on his behalf. And when the seven days were all but at an end, the Jews from Asia saw him in the temple. Whereupon they threw the whole multitude into an uproar, and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to the rescue. Here is the man who goes about everywhere, teaching everybody to despise our people and our law and this place. He has brought Gentiles into the temple too, profaning these sacred precincts. They had seen Trophimus, who was from Ephesus, in the city with him, and it was he whom they suspected Paul of introducing into the temple. The whole city was in a commotion, and the common folk ran up from all sides. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple upon which the gates were shut, and they were preparing to kill him when word came to the captain of the garrison that the whole of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once summoned his troops with their officers and swept down upon them, and at the sight of the captain with his troops they left off beating Paul. The captain came up and arrested him, giving orders that he should be bound with a double chain. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. But some of the crowd were shouting this and some that, and it was impossible to find out the truth amidst the clamour. So he gave orders that Paul should be taken to the soldiers' quarters. When he reached the steps, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the crowd's violence. "'a rabble of the common people kept following behind "'with cries of, Put him to death. "'And just as he was being taken into the soldiers' quarters, "'Paul asked the centurion, May I have a word with thee?' "'At which he said, What? Canst thou talk Greek? "'Thou art not then that Egyptian "'that raised a band of four thousand cutthroats some time back "'and led them out into the wilderness?' "'I am a Jew,' said Paul, "'a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia,' no mean city my request of thee is that thou wouldst let me speak to the people and so having obtained his leave Paul stood there on the steps and made a gesture with his hand to the people there was deep silence and he began addressing himself to them in Hebrew that is probably the Aramaic spoken by the Jews of that time brethren and fathers listen to the defense I am putting before you and now they gave him even better audience, finding that he spoke to them in Hebrew. I am a Jew, born at Tarsus in Cilicia and brought up in this city. I was trained, under Gamaliel, in exact knowledge of our ancestral law, as jealous for the honour of the law as you are, all of you, today. I persecuted this way to the death, putting men and women in chains, and handing them over to the prisons. The chief priests and all the elders will bear me out in that. It was from them that I was carrying letters to their brethren when I was on my way to Damascus to make fresh prisoners there and bring them to Jerusalem for punishment. While I was on my journey, not far from Damascus, about midday, this befell me. All at once a great light from heaven shone about me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? Who art thou, Lord? I answered. And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom Saul persecutes. My companion saw the light, but could not catch the voice of him who spoke to me. Then I said, What must I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise up, and go into Damascus. There thou shalt be told of all the work that is destined for thee. The glory of that light had blinded me, and my companions were leading me by the hand when I came into Damascus. There, a certain Ananias, a man well known among his Jewish neighbors for his pious observance of the law, came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, look up and see. And at that instant I looked up into his face. Then he said to me, The God of our fathers has made choice of thee to know his will, to have sight of him who is just, and hear speech from his lips. And what thou hast seen and heard, thou shalt testify before all men. Come then, why art thou wasting time? Rise up and receive baptism, washing away thy sins at the invocation of his name. Afterwards, when I had gone back to Jerusalem and was at prayer in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord there speaking to me. Make haste, he said, Leave Jerusalem with all speed. They will not accept thy witness of me here. But, Lord, I said, it is within their own knowledge how I used to imprison those who believed in thee and scourge them in the synagogues. And when the blood of Stephen, thy martyr, was shed, I too stood by and gave my consent and watched over the garments of those who slew him. And he said to me, Go on thy way. I mean to send thee on a distant errand to the Gentiles.' Up to this point they listened to his speech. But then they cried aloud, Away with such a fellow from the earth. It's a disgrace that he should live. So, when he saw them raising shouts and throwing down their garments and flinging dust into the air, the captain had Paul taken into the soldiers' quarters, telling them to examine him under the lash. Thus he would find out the cause of the outcry against him. And they had already tied Paul down with thongs, when he said to the centurion who was in charge, "'Have you the right to scourge a man "'when he is a Roman citizen and has not been sentenced?' "'The centurion, as soon as he heard this, "'went to the captain and told him of it. "'What art thou about?' he said. "'This man is a Roman citizen.' "'So the captain came and asked him, "'What is this? "'Thou art a Roman citizen?' "'Yes,' he said. "'Why?' answered the captain. It cost me a heavy sum to win this privilege. Ah, said Paul, but I am a citizen by birth. Upon this, the men who were to have put him to the question moved away from him, and the captain himself was alarmed to find out that this was a Roman citizen, and he had him put in bonds. So the next day, determined to discover the truth about the charge the Jews were bringing against him, he released him some at a meeting of the chief priests and the whole council, and brought Paul down to confront them with him. Paul fastened his eyes on the council and said, Brethren, all my life I have behaved myself with full loyalty of conscience towards God. At this, the high priest Ananias bade those who were standing near smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, It is God that will smite thee, for the whitened wall thou art. Thou art sitting there to judge me according to the law, and wilt thou break the law by ordering them to smite me? What, said the bystanders, wouldst thou insult God's high priest? And Paul said, Brethren, I could not tell that it was the high priest. To be sure, it is written, Thou shalt not speak ill of him who rules thy people. A footnote here from Monsignor Knox. It seems likely that St. Paul, looking round the council to see what faces he could recognise, heard the high priest's interruption without seeing who the speaker was. I go on with the text. And now, finding that there were two factions among them, one of the Sadducees and the other of the Pharisees, Paul cried out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, and my fathers were Pharisees before me. And I am standing on my trial because I am one who hopes for the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was in two minds. The Sadducees will have it that there is no resurrection, that there are no angels or spirits, whereas the Pharisees believe in both. So that a great clamor followed, and some of the Pharisees came forward to protest, We cannot find any fault in this man, they said. Perhaps he has had a message from a spirit or an angel. Then dissension rose high, and the captain, who was afraid that they would tear Paul in pieces, ordered his troops to come down and rescue Paul from their midst, and bring him safe to the soldiers' quarters. On the next night the Lord came to his side and told him, Do not lose heart. Thou hast done with bearing me witness in Jerusalem, and now thou must carry the same witness to Rome." When day came, the Jews held a conclave and bound themselves under a solemn curse that they would not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 of them joined in this conspiracy. So they went to the chief priests and elders and told them, We have bound ourselves under a solemn curse not to take food until we have killed Paul. Your part, then, is to signify to the captain your wish and the counsels that he would bring him down before you as if you meant to examine his cause more precisely, and we are ready to make away with him before he reaches you. Paul's sister had a son who heard of this ambush being laid, and he went to the soldiers' quarters and gave news of it to Paul, whereupon Paul had one of the centurions brought to him and said, Take this young man to the captain. He has news to give him. So he bade him follow and took him to the captain. The prisoner Paul, he said, had me summoned, and ask me to take this young man into thy presence. He has a message for thee. And the captain, taking him by the hand and drawing him aside, asked, What is the news thou bringest me? The Jews, he said, have formed this design. They will ask thee to bring Paul down before the council tomorrow, as if they meant to examine his cause more precisely. Do not listen to them. Some of them will be lying in ambush for him, more than forty in number." They have sworn not to eat or drink until they have made away with him. Even now they are in readiness, only waiting for thy consent. Thereupon the captain dismissed the young man, warning him not to let any one know that he had revealed this secret to him. Then he summoned two of the centurions and told them, You are to have two hundred men from the cohort ready to march to Caesarea with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen. They will set out at the third hour of the night. And you must provide beasts so that they can mount Paul and take him safely to the governor Felix. He was afraid that the Jews might seize on Paul and kill him and that he himself might be falsely accused of taking a bribe from them. He also wrote a letter with these contents. Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency Felix, the governor, sends greeting. Here is a man whom the Jews seized "'and set about killing him. "'But I came up with my men and rescued him, "'learning that he was a Roman citizen. "'Since I had a mind to discover what complaint it was they had against him, "'I took him down into the presence of their council. "'But I found that the accusation was concerned with disputes about their own law, "'and that he was charged with nothing that deserved death or imprisonment. "'And now, since I have information of a plot which they have laid against him, I am sending him to thee, telling his accusers at the same time that they must plead their cause before thee. Farewell. The soldiers, obeying their orders, took Paul with them, and conducted him, travelling all night, to Antipatris. Next day they left the horsemen to accompany him, and went back to their quarters. The horsemen, upon reaching Caesarea, delivered the letter to the governor, and brought Paul too into his presence. So the governor read the letter, asked from what province he came, and was told from Cilicia. Then he said, I will give thee a hearing when thy accusers too are present. And he gave orders that he should be kept safe in Herod's palace. Five days later, the high priest Ananias came down, accompanied by some of the elders and by an advocate named Tertullus. These appeared before the governor against Paul. So when Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began his indictment thus. Such is the peace thou hast enabled us to enjoy. So many wrongs have been righted for us through thy wisdom that always and everywhere, most noble Felix, we are ready to acknowledge it with grateful hearts. But I must not weary thee with more of this. What we ask of thy courtesy is no more than a brief audience. Here is a man who is known to us as a pestilent mover of sedition among Jews all over the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who is not scrupled to attempt a violation of the temple. We arrested him and had intended to try him according to our own law when the captain, Lysias, came and took him out of our hands with great violence and insisted that his accusers must appear before thee. Interrogate him thyself and thou wilt be able to learn the truth about all the accusations we bring against him. And the Jews, for their part, supported the indictment, alleging that all this was the truth. Then the governor made a sign to bid Paul speak, and he answered, I am the more emboldened to make my defense, because I know well that thou hast been a judge over this nation for many years. Thou hast the means of assuring thyself that it is only twelve days since I came up to Jerusalem to worship there. They have never found me raising controversy, or bringing a crowd together, either in the temple, or in the synagogues, or in the open city, nor can they produce any proof of the charges they bring against me. But this I admit to thee, that in worshipping God, my Father, I follow what we call the Way, and they call a sect. I put my trust in all that is written in the law and the prophets, sharing before God the hope they have too that the dead will rise again, both just and unjust. To that end, I, like them, am at pains to keep my conscience clear of offence towards God or man at all times. After some years' absence, I came up to bring alms to the men of my own race and certain offerings. It was when I had just made these offerings and had been purified in the temple, that I was found there, no crowd about me, no rioting, by whom? By some Jews from Asia, who ought to be here, standing in thy presence, if they had any quarrel with me. In default of that, it is for those who are here to give their own account of what blame they found in me when I stood before the council. Unless it were over one single utterance when I cried out, standing there among them, If I am on my trial before you today, It is because of the resurrection of the dead. Felix, who had full information about this way, reserved judgment. I will give you a hearing, he said, when Lysias the captain has come down here. And he gave orders to the centurion that Paul was to be kept safely, but left at his ease, and that any of his friends should be given liberty to minister to him. And some days afterwards, when Felix was there with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and listened to his message about faith in Jesus Christ. When he spoke of justice and continence and of the judgment that is to come, Felix was terrified. No more of this for the present, he said. I will send for thee when I can find leisure. At the same time, he hoped that Paul would offer him a bribe and for that reason sent for him often and called it his company. So two years passed. Then Portius Festus came as successor to Felix, and Felix, who wished to ingratiate himself with the Jews, left Paul in prison. And Festus, three days after entering his province, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Here the high priest and the leaders of the Jews put before him their case against Paul and were urgent with him, asking as a favor that he would summon Paul to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, they were preparing an ambush so as to make away with him on the journey. But Festus answered that Paul was in safekeeping in Caesarea. He himself would be removing there as soon as possible. Let those of you who are men of influence, he said, travel down with me and bring your charges against this man if you have anything against him. So when he had spent a week with them, Or ten days at most He went down to Caesarea And next day Sitting on the judgment seat He gave orders for Paul to be brought in When he appeared There were the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem Standing round him And bringing many grave accusations against him Which they could not prove While Paul said in his defense I have committed no crime against the Jewish law Or against the temple Or against Caesar But Festus had a mind to ingratiate himself with the Jews, so he answered Paul thus, Art thou ready to go up to Jerusalem, and meet these charges before me there? Upon which Paul said, I am standing at Caesar's judgment seat, where I have a right to be tried. As for the Jews, I have done them no wrong, as thou knowest well enough. If I am guilty, if I have done something which deserves death, I do not ask for reprieve. If their charges are without substance, no one has a right to make them a present of my life. I appealed to Caesar. Then Festus conferred with his counsel and answered, Hast thou appealed to Caesar? To Caesar thou shalt go. Some days later, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to give Festus their greeting. And since he was spending several days there, Festus put Paul's case before the king. There is a man here, he said, whom Felix left behind him in prison. And when I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews denounced him to me, asking for his condemnation. I replied that it is not the Roman custom to pronounce a condemnation until the accused man has been confronted with his accusers and been given the opportunity to clear himself of the charge. So they came here with me, and I did not keep them waiting. The next day, Sitting on the judgment seat, I gave orders for the man to be brought in. His accusers, as they stood round him, could not tax him with any criminal offence such as I had expected. Their controversies with him were concerned with scruples of their own and with a dead man called Jesus, whom Paul declared to be alive. For myself, I hesitated to enter upon the discussion of such matters, so I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and meet these charges there, upon which Paul appealed to have his case reserved for the emperor's cognizance, and I gave orders that he should be kept safe until I can send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I have often wished myself to hear this man speak. Thou shalt hear him, said he, to-morrow. So on the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and made their entry into the Hall of Judgment. "'attended by the captains and all the eminent persons of the city. "'And Paul, at Festus's command, was brought in. "'Then Festus said, "'King Agrippa and all you who are present, "'you see before you a man "'over whom the whole Jewish body has been petitioning me, "'not only here but at Jerusalem, "'crying out that he must not be allowed to live a day longer. "'For myself I was satisfied "'that he had not done anything deserving of death.' but since he has appealed to the Emperor I have thought it best to send him and now, writing to my Sovereign Lord I have no clear account to give of him that is why I have brought him before you and before thee especially, King Agrippa so that the examination may afford material for my letter it would be unreasonable, I conceive to remit a prisoner for trial without putting on record the charges that lie against him Then Agrippa said to Paul, Thou art free to give an account of thyself. And Paul, stretching out his hand, began his defence. King Agrippa, I count myself fortunate today to be defending myself against all the accusations of the Jews in thy presence. No one is more familiar than thou with the customs of the Jews and their controversies, and this makes me bold to ask thee for a patient audience. What my life was like when boyhood was over Spent from the first among my own people and in Jerusalem All the Jews know Their earliest memory of me, would they but admit it Is of one who lived according to the strictest tradition of observance we have A Pharisee And if I stand here on my trial It is for my hope of the promise God made to our fathers Our twelve tribes worship him ceaselessly, night and day in the hope of attaining that promise. And this is the hope, my Lord King, for which the Jews call me to account. Why should it be beyond the belief of men such as thou art, that God should raise the dead? Well then, I thought it my duty to defy, in many ways, the name of Jesus the Nazarene. And that is what I did at Jerusalem. It was I, under powers granted me by the chief priests, who shut up many of the faithful in prison. And when they were down to death, I raised my voice against them. Often have I tried to force them into blaspheming by inflicting punishment on them in one synagogue after another. Nay, so unmeasured was my rage against them that I used to go to foreign cities to persecute them. It was on such an that I was making my way to Damascus, with powers delegated to me by the chief priests, when journeying at midday, I saw, my Lord King, a light from heaven surpassing the brightness of the sun, which shone about me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice which said to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? This is a thankless task of thine, kicking against the goad. Who art thou, Lord? I asked. And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Whom Saul persecutes. Rise up and stand on thy feet. I have shown myself to thee, that I may single thee out to serve me, as the witness of this vision thou hast had, and other visions thou wilt have of me. I will be thy deliverer from the hands of thy people and of the Gentiles to whom I am now sending thee. Thou shalt open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive, through faith in me, remission of their sins and an inheritance among the saints. Whereupon, King Agrippa, I did not show myself disobedient to the heavenly vision. First to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then to all the country of Judea, then to the heathen, I preached repentance, bidding them turn to God and so act as befits men who are penitent, That is why the Jews, when they caught me in the temple, tried to murder me. But thanks to God's help, I still stand here today, bearing my witness to small and great alike. Yet there is nothing in my message which goes beyond what the prophets spoke of and Moses spoke of as things to come, a suffering Christ and one who should show light to his people and to the Gentiles by being the first to rise from the dead. When Paul had proceeded so far with his defence Festus said in a loud voice Paul thou art mad They are driving thee to madness These long studies of thine But Paul answered No, most noble Festus I am not mad The message which I utter is sober truth The king knows about all this well enough That is why I speak with such confidence in his presence None of this, I am sure, is news to him It was not in some secret corner that all this happened. Dost thou believe the prophets, King Agrippa? I am well assured thou dost believe them. At this Agrippa said to Paul, Thou wouldst have me turn Christian with very little ado. Why, said Paul, it would be my prayer to God that whether it were with much ado or little, both thou and all those who are listening to me today should become just such as I am, but for these chains. Then the king rose, and so did the governor, and Bernice, and all those who sat there with them. When they had retired, they said to one another, This man is guilty of no fault that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, If he had not appealed to Caesar, this man might have been set at liberty. And now word was given for the voyage to Italy. Paul being handed over with some other prisoners to a centurion called Julius, who belonged to the Augustan cohort. We embarked on a boat from Andromatum, which was bound for the Asiatic ports, and set sail. The Macedonian Aristarchus from Thessalonica was with us. Next day we put in at Sidon, and here Julius showed Paul courtesy by allowing him to visit his friends and be cared for. Then, setting sail, we coasted under the lee of Cyprus to avoid contrary winds, but made a straight course over the open sea that lies off Cilicia and Pamphylia, and so reached Lystra in Lycia. There the centurion found a boat from Alexandria which was sailing for Italy, and put us on board. We had a slow voyage for many days after this. We made Nidus with difficulty, and then, with the wind beating us back, had to sail under the lee of Crete by way of Salmone. Here we were hard put to it to coast along as far as a place called Fairhavens near the city of Thalassa. Much time had now been wasted, and sailing had become dangerous. The fast was already over. Mancinox puts a footnote here. The fast was the day of expiation, occurring about the time of the equinoctial gales. I go back to the text. The fast was already over, and Paul bade them make the best of it. Sirs, he said, I can see plainly that there is no sailing now without injury and great loss, not only of our freight and of the vessel, but of our own lives too. The centurion, however, paid more attention to the helmsman and the master than to Paul's advice. The harbour was not well placed for wintering in, so that more of them gave their voices for sailing further still, in the hope of making Phoenice and wintering there. It is a harbour in Crete which faces in the direction of the south-west and north-west winds. A light breeze was now blowing from the south, so that they thought they had achieved their purpose, and coasted along Crete, leaving their anchorage at Assos. But it was not long before a gale of wind struck the ship, the wind called Oraculo. As a footnote, Oraculo—that that is, the north-east wind, the wind called Oraquilo. She was carried out of her course and could make no head against the wind, so we gave up and let her drive. We now ran under the lee of an island named Cowder, where we contrived with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. When it had been hoisted aboard, they strengthened the ship by passing ropes round her, Then, for fear of being driven onto the Sirtis sands, they let down the sea anchor, and so drifted. On the next day, so violently were we tossed about in the gale, they lightened ship, and on the third, they deliberately threw the spare tackle overboard. For several days we saw nothing of the sun or the stars, and a heavy gale pressed us hard, so that we had lost by now all hope of surviving— and we were much in want of food. And now Paul stood up in their presence and said, Sirs, you should have taken my advice. If you had not put out from Crete, you would have saved all this injury and damage. But I would not have you lose courage even now. There is to be no loss of life among you, only of the ship. An angel stood before me last night, sent by the God to whom I belong, the God whom I serve, and said, have no fear, Paul, thou art to stand in Caesar's presence. And behold, God has granted thee the safety of all thy fellow voyagers. Have courage, then, says, I trust in God, believing that all will fall out as he has told me. Only we are to be cast up on an island. On the fourteenth night, as we drifted about in the Adriatic Sea, there's a footnote here, the Adriatic Sea, that is, the central Mediterranean in general. As we drifted about in the Adriatic Sea, the crew began to suspect, about midnight, that we were nearing land. So they took soundings and made it twenty fathom. Then they sounded again a short distance away and made it fifteen fathom. Afraid, therefore, that we might be cast ashore on some rocky coast, they let down four anchors from the stern and fell to wishing it were day. And now the sailors had a mind to abandon the ship, and lured the boat into the sea, pretending that they meant to lay out anchors from the bows. But Paul told the centurion and the soldiers, These must stay on board, or there is no hope left for you. Whereupon the soldiers cut the boat's ropes away and let it drop. As day began to break, Paul entreated them all to take some food. Today, he said, is the fourteenth day you have been in suspense. And all that time gone hungry, neglecting to eat. Pray take some food then. It will make for your preservation. Not a hair of any one's head is to be lost. And with that he took bread, and gave thanks to God before them all, and broke it, and began to eat. Thereupon they all found courage, and themselves took a meal. The whole number of souls on board was two hundred and seventy-six. So all ate till they were content and afterwards they began to lighten the ship, throwing the corn into the sea. When day broke, they found that the coast was strange to them. But they sighted a bay with a sloping beach, and made up their minds, if it should be possible, to run the ship ashore there. They lifted the anchors, and trusted themselves to the mercy of the sea, at the same time unlashing the tiller. Then they hoisted the foresail to the breeze, "'and held on for the shore. "'But now, finding they were running into a cross sea, "'they grounded the ship where they were. "'The bows, which were stuck fast, felt no movement, "'but the stern began falling to pieces under the violence of the waves. "'Whereupon the soldiers would have killed the prisoners "'for fear that any of them should dive overboard and escape. "'But the centurion balked them of their will "'because he had a mind to keep Paul safe.' He gave orders that those who could swim ashore should go overboard first and make their way to land. Of the rest, some were ferried across on planks and some on the ship's wreckage. So it was that all reached land in safety. When we were safe on land, we found that the island was called Melita, THE KINDNESS WHICH THE NATIVES SHOWED TO US WAS BEYOND THE ORDINARY. THEY WELCOMED US ALL BY MAKING A FIRE FOR US, BECAUSE RAIN WAS COMING ON AND IT WAS COLD. PAUL HAD COLLECTED A BUNDLE OF FAGGOTS AND HAD JUST PUT THEM ON THE FIRE WHEN A VIPER, COMING OUT TO ESCAPE THE HEAT, FASTENED ON HIS HAND. AND THE NATIVES, WHEN THEY SAW THE BEAST COILED ROUND HIS HAND, SAID TO ONE ANOTHER, THIS MUST BE SOME MURDERER. HE HAS BEEN rescued FROM THE SEA, but divine vengeance would not let him live. He, meanwhile, shook the beast into the fire and was none the worse. They still waited to see him swell up or fall down dead on a sudden, but when they had waited a long time and found that there was nothing amiss with him, they changed their minds and declared that he must be a god. Among the estates in that part were some which belonged to the leading citizen of the island a man named Publius, who took us in and for three days entertained us hospitably and it so happened that Publius's father had taken to his bed, laid up with fever and dysentery. Paul, who had gone to visit him, laid his hands upon him with prayer and healed him. Whereupon all the other folk in the island who were suffering from infirmities, came to him and found a cure. These paid us great honour and when we embarked, they had loaded us with all the supplies we needed. It was at the end of three months that we sailed, in a ship from Alexandria which had wintered at the island. Its sign was Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse, where we waited for three days. Then we coasted round the further shore, and so arrived at Ragium. When we had spent a day there, a south wind came on, and we made Portieri on the second day out. Here we found some brethren who prevailed on us to stay with them for a week, and so we ended our journey at Rome. The brethren there, who had heard our story, came out as far as Apis's forum and onto the three taverns to meet us. Paul gave thanks to God and took courage when he saw them. Once we were in Rome... Paul was allowed to have his own residence, which he shared with the soldier who guarded him. It was three days later that he called a meeting of the leading men among the Jews. When they had assembled, he told them, Brethren, I am one who has done nothing to the prejudice of our people or of our ancestral customs, yet in Jerusalem they handed me over to the Romans as a prisoner. These, when they had examined me, had a mind to release me, since no capital charge lay against me. But the Jews cried out against it, and I was forced to appeal to Caesar, though it is not as if I had any fault to find with my own nation. That is why I have asked for the opportunity of seeing you and speaking to you. It is because I hope, as Israel hopes, that I wear this chain. At this they said to him, We have not received any letter about thee from Judea, nor has any of the brethren come here with any ill report or hard words about thee. We ask nothing better than to hear what thy opinions are. All we know of this sect is that it is everywhere decried. So they made an appointment with him and met him at his lodging in great numbers. And he bore his testimony and told them about the kingdom of God, trying to convince them from Moses and the prophets of what Jesus was, from dawn till dusk. Some were convinced by his words, others refused belief, and they took their leave still at variance among themselves, but not till Paul had spoken one last word. It was a true utterance the Holy Spirit made to our fathers through the prophet Isaiah. Go to this people and tell them, you will listen and listen, but for you there is no understanding. You will watch and watch, but for you there is no perceiving. The heart of this people has become dull, their ears are slow to listen, and they keep their eyes shut, so that they may never see with those eyes, or hear with those ears, or understand with that heart, and turn back to me, and win healing from me. Take notice then, that this message of salvation has been sent by God to the Gentiles. And they, at least, will listen to it. So much he told the Jews, and then they left him with much dissension among themselves. And for two whole years he lived in a lodging, hired at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to visit him, proclaiming God's kingdom and teaching them the truths which concern our Lord Jesus Christ, boldly enough, without let or hindrance." the end of the Acts of the Apostles.